Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. As of um, 2023, the life expectancy in America is uh, approximately 79 years. If you divide that up, this is how the average person spends their lifetime. You spend uh, 33 years in bed, 26 of that asleep. Seven of that trying to get to sleep. There's such a challenge today. You work for a little over 15 years. You watch TV for 9.1 years. Watching TV accounts for half of all leisure time, about two point hours a day is the average. You spend about two years of your life watching commercials. A three-hour NFL broadcast only has, get this, 11 minutes of actual gameplay. You spend about 1.1 years cleaning house. Women, historically, have spent about twice as much time on that as men, though the statistic is shifting a bit. You spend 2.5 years cooking. You spend 3.66 years eating, about 67 minutes a day. You drive a car for 4.3 years of your life. In that time, you'll cover enough distance to go to the moon and back three times. You spend three months of your life in traffic, about 38 hours a year. You spend about 1.5 years in the bathroom. You spend about 70% of your waking life in front of digital media. You walk a total of 110,000 miles in your lifetime. It's equivalent to four times around the world. You spend about 90% of your time indoors. You drink about 12,000 cups of coffee in a lifetime. That's about 1.6 cups a day. Uh, Women spend nearly one year deciding what to wear. (laughs) An office worker spends about five years sitting at a desk and eats about 35,000 cookies consumes about 109,000 pounds of food, makes about 18,011 trips to McDonald's. Now, not a bad life, huh? That's what you have to look forward to. By the way, if you're behind on those cookies, go to McDonald's today. The fast is over. You can catch up. Amen? I want to just jump right into what the Lord is stirring on my heart today. Tracy and I just returned from uh, a week of just passionate seeking after God. I want to call our time together today Awakening a God Cry. Jesus told us to pray, church. He told us to pray. I'm not even going to read the parable. I just want to read the preface. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
You study the history of revival, and God has always sent revival in the darkest days. Oh, for a mighty sweeping revival today. I shared that whole list of how our lives calculate out to ask you the question, how much of that do you think is spent praying? You spend a lot of time in a car, you spend a lot of time at work, eat a lot of cookies, make a lot of trips to McDonald's. You spend a lot of time in front of the TV, but I, I wonder at the end of our lives, how much time will we have spent praying? It'd be interesting to know, wouldn't it? I can tell you this, I would imagine for most of us, it's a lot less than it should be. Jesus said, uh, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Paul said we ought to pray continually. Philip Brooks, who wrote one of the famous books on prayer, said that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His highest willingness. Persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind. Thy will be done but to get ourselves to the place where he can trust us with the answer. This past week, one of the men that stirred Tracy and I's hearts is a guy named Corey Russell. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. I don't think he really cares. He cares about living for an audience of one, spends maybe somewhere around four hours a day in prayer. He's part of has been part of the upper room movement, now is a part of a, a prayer movement in Denver, Colorado. Tracy and I were at uh, Jesus Culture in Sacramento this week. Their latest album's called Why Not Right Now? Why Not Right Now? And you'll see some, this is George Whitfield. These are some historic pictures from revival of the past. In the middle of the album, by the way, if you're not familiar with this album, it's a new one and you should get it. Okay? That ought to be on your Apple Music or your Spotify list. Why not right now? Jesus culture. Whole thing. Consume the whole thing. It'll stir you. But right in the middle of the album, they chose to put a little cut of Corey just crying out to God, encouraging God's people to pray. And, and I just uh, feel like just skipping, skipping past announcements, all that stuff. Just I, I, I want us to get what God has for us today. I want, I want God to stir in us a cry for Him. So I'm going to do something a little, little different, a little unusual. I'm going to ask you to listen. I just want you to listen. Don't be distracted. Just listen. There's not going to be a video. This is going to be Corey crying out. For about five minutes, I want you to listen. I don't want you to receive this morning. Just put your heart on receptive. Go ahead and play that cut. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. There's an irreversible law in the kingdom. It doesn't matter your background, your gifts, or your where you come from. There is an irreversible law in the kingdom. The ones who hunger, they will be filled. The ones who reach, you will find. The ones who seek, you will find. The ones who knock, the door will be open. God honors hunger. God honors the reach. God honors eye contact. We're not just singing songs at Him. We're singing to Him. If there's one thing Jesus made clear through the Gospels, it's that He simply does things for hungry people He doesn't do for everybody else. In Mark 10, Jesus came into Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, there was this blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus had been born blind and he had heard Jesus, the son of David, was coming through. And there was a divine intersection, a window. There was a window of time to where the son of God was about to walk through his city. And this blind man could hear it. He couldn't see, but he could hear. And he began to cry out at the top of his lungs. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody around him began to tell him to be quiet. I believe that the devil has worked overtime in these last years to shut the mouth of the hungry ones, to stifle the cry. But I believe that there is a cry being born In this place, I keep hearing it over and over again. The Lord is birthing a new cry for a new season. There's a new prayer for a new season. People are coming out of addictions and bondages. They've been blind and there's a cry to see again. And even when the spirit of religion or the spirit of the world begins to tell them to shut up, the Bible says that Bartimaeus begin to cry out all the more. Will we press through all the opposition? Will we cry out? And the Bible says that Jesus stood still. And the very ones that told him to be quiet are now saying, rise up. He wants to talk to you. He runs to Jesus and Jesus says, I don't need to know your name or anything else. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. I believe that there is a cry for revelation that's awakening. I believe that the eye salve of the Holy Spirit is being applied to the hearts of a generation. Blessed are the pure in heart. See, friends, I believe that God is blessing us with spiritual hunger. We've become way too domesticated. The ones that are called to be lions have become kittens. But I believe God is awakening a roar in a generation. I believe he's awakening a cry from the depths that's going to break off domestication. That's going to break off the fear of man. It's going to break off pleasing everybody. There's beginning to be a raw cry that's beginning to awaken in a generation. I want God. Let's ask him. The greatest gift that God could give you would be the gift of hungering for him. 
Let's ask Him tonight to bless us. This is hunger. It's the revelation of your need. It's the revelation of your need. Oh, friends, He's going to awaken it. He's going to take a generation in the most prosperous, with the most options, inundated with the most images, and He's going to deliver us from the illusions. He's going to deliver us from the fantasies. He's going to deliver us from the false comforts. And He's going to awaken the God cry. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Father, release the spirit of revelation. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. You know, my hope and my prayer is that through this time of fasting that God is awakening a cry in your heart, that you have become one of the hungry ones, just like you talked about, and that you'll allow that cry, that gift, the greatest gift that he can give you, that gift of hunger for him to be stirred in your heart, that cry for a birthing, a new cry for a new season. Can you say amen to that today? Was that powerful or what, church? Come on. And this morning, I want to I wanna talk to us just for a few minutes about following Jesus in this place of prayer. And here, here's my, another part of my heart for this morning. I always get excited about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. I get really excited about it. But then there's also a sense when it comes to an end, I'm, I'm like, Lord, please don't let it end. Please don't let it end, Lord. There's been such sweet times of prayer together. There's been just a stirring of your spirit among us. There's just been a, a heightened awareness of praying and seeking your face. God, please don't let that end. So I'm asking you, would you, would you join me? Let's Let's make this year a 365-day year of seeking after God, of being rooted in Him, of being hungry ones seeking after Him. The ancient church fathers had a, a beautiful saying in Latin. It was imitatio Christi, and they would imitate the spiritual disciplines of Christ. They understood that to follow Christ was to imitate His spiritual disciplines. And let me just tell you one thing about Jesus. When you study His life and you look at His practices and you look at what He did, the number one thing, the number one thing, and the reason we're starting here is because prayer is the most important spiritual discipline in Jesus's life. And therefore, church, it ought to be the most important spiritual discipline in our lives. Wouldn't that be neat, you know, if we went back through that list and you spent 33 years in bed and you spent 15 years at work and you spent 10, 12 years praying and seeking the Lord?
Man, what would, that, what would that amount to if every day, every single day, you followed in the footsteps of Jesus, you followed after his heart, you, 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 you imitated Christ in that place of prayer because it was the, the first and foremost in Jesus' life. It was his first and foremost discipline and it should be ours too. His life, his power flows from that place of intimate, powerful, prayerful connection with the Father. Think of what would happen if every one of us, every one of us here in this house began this year and, and continued through the year a discipline of prayer unlike anything we've ever entered to before. I know all of us have prayed. I know all of us have, have tried at least to have a devotion time, but I'm talking about diving in. I'm talking about being all in. I'm talking about having the kind of communing with God that draws you away from the TV, that draws you away from social media and screen time and draws you into that intimate place with him that is that place where his life and his power flows from. Prayer is the, it's the life-giving root of all spiritual life. Jesus understood that and so must, me, so must we. It's the same for us. We've got to understand Outside of that, it's a non-essential, it's a, it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable essential for a Christ follower. Now, I want you to notice here with me this morning, I want to take us through the life of Jesus and the place of prayer. John chapter 5, it says, Jesus answered, said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees his father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. There's this beautiful thing happening right in in Jesus' life. That, that wonderful mystery of the incarnation. He's fully God. He's fully man. And, and he, he chooses, right? Philippians 2 tells us that during his time on this earth, he gives up that divine right and he walks as a human being would so that he can relate with us. And, and you've got to understand this, right? That's why he's so dedicated to prayer. That's why his life revolves around prayer. That's why prayer is his passion. He's seeking the father and only listening to the father because he wants to fully do the father's will in his life nothing of his self in his human orientation it's it's not about his own will as a human being it's about the will of the father being transmitted to the son he's losing his life that he might have the life of the father he only does and speaks what he sees and hears from his father in heaven And this is the importance of that place of prayer. It's not about you just having a prayer list and reading off your prayer list. It's about true intimate communion with the Father where you hear the Father's heart, you speak his words, you pray forth his will, and he sees and he hears and he acts. Prayer is not just about you saying things to God. It's about God saying things to you. Jesus knew he couldn't do the Father's will without seeing and hearing in prayer, in that place of prayer. How much more effective and supernatural would our lives be 
if we were really, really people of prayer. Here I am, Father, speak to me. Every day, every day, every day in that private place, that secret place, that place of communion, that place of intimacy with the Father. What Jesus did in his life was empowered constantly by the supernatural grace of God. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus went from one place of prayer to the next. And everything in between was supernatural as a human being fully submitted to God, laying down his will, his rights, seeking the Father and listening to his direction. You, you can see it just repeatedly in Scripture, right? Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So he himself often, often, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Whenever you couldn't find Jesus, there was a pretty good, you know, I always joke, whenever I can't find my wife, I know she's in the bathroom, Right? But when you couldn't find Jesus, he was in the place of prayer. My wife's a prayer too, so don't, don't misunderstand that. But if you couldn't find him, he was off praying. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. He was an early riser. Jesus was an early riser. Maybe we ought to you know, I know we, we get into this whole thing. Well, I'm a morning person. I'm not a morning person. Whatever rising up enough early for you to seek the Lord first, you should really wrestle with that. Matthew chapter 14. <laughs> when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. What did he hear when he heard it? He departed there from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. If you go back and look at the context of the passage, it's um, after hearing about his dear friend and his cousin John the Baptist having been beheaded. Jesus goes to get alone with God. He's, he's a man consumed in grief and he knows where to take that grief. He knows where to take that, that sadness. He takes it before the Father so that he might find the comfort that he needs. He's getting ready to come out of that place and miraculously feed 5,000 people. Again, he goes and prays and then the supernatural happens. He prays and then the supernatural happens. He prays and then the supernatural happens. What would it be like if you and I, our lives were truly characterized by prayer? I think we would begin to be supernaturally natural. The supernatural would become natural in the sense that we were believing God, trusting God, praying prayers of faith, asking the Lord to do things that only He could do. Matthew 14, 23, it says, And when He had sent the multitudes away... By the way, Jesus is about the only preacher you will find who sends the multitudes away, who is more concerned about being alone with God than he is about drawing crowds. 
one of the things that concerns me a lot about um, this brand of American Christianity that we've created in this day and time. Uh, there's a lot of toxicity to it. Um, I heard Francis Chan say the other day, and it touched me deeply, he said the most dangerous thing in the world are these lights in this stage. Because they have, uh, in our day and time, seduced a lot of people into idolatry and uh, drifting from God and uh, narcissism and you name it. I, I remember when I, uh, when I first came to the faith, the heroes of the church were the missionaries and the martyrs. And now the heroes of the church seem to be the celebrity pastors that wear the $500 Nikes and the Gucci belts, and the TikTok Christian influencers. My oh my, hasn't things changed? He sent the multitudes away, went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. Jesus spends a lot of time alone with the Father. Matthew 6, but when you but you, when you when pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who's in that secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The key is this. Jesus went from one solitary, undistracted place of prayer to the next, and everything in between was supernatural. We must follow him into the place of prayer. This year, let's make that a reality in our lives. Let that be the number one habit. If you read Atomic Habits, let that be the number one thing you focus on. Following Jesus into the secret place of prayer and making it a part of your daily, daily habit and life. Putting it on your calendar, getting it every day before you, before you call it a day. It should be the beginning of your day. Let me ask you the question, where's your secret place? Where is that place where you have that precious time alone with God, where you turn your phone off and you get all the distractions out of the way, where you truly enter in to communion with God, where you pray in secret and God will reward you in public? Where are you following Jesus' example? It's time to get back into the prayer closet with Jesus because that's where the spiritual power comes from. Amen, Pastor Jeff. That was a good point right there. You're preaching good. Keep it up. Praise God. Praise God. One of my spiritual heroes is a guy named Leonard Ravenhill who wrote the classic book, Why Revival Tarries. Leonard Ravenhill had a, a way with words. And he said these words, the secret of praying is praying in secret. Anybody can preach, but only a spiritual man who's hungry for God will pray. I had the distinct privilege of praying with Leonard Ravenhill. It was an amazing, amazing moment. 
way back in the 1980s. Look at Jesus' public prayer life in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven, which said, You're my beloved son. In you I'm well pleased. When Jesus prayed, you know what happened? The heavens opened. The Spirit of God descends and the Father speaks. If I could right now just say to you, there's a picture of prayer for you. There's a picture of prayer for you. Maybe you've never thought about that. But when you get alone with the Lord, when you begin to pray, heaven's open, Spirit descends, and the Father speaks. That's prayer. Luke chapter 9, it says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decrease which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Again, what a powerful picture of prayer. When Jesus prayed, his face was altered, his countenance was altered, his robe was glistening, Moses and Elijah show up, his upcoming death is discussed, the father speaks, The will of God is revealed. That's prayer. Prayer that causes transfiguration and transformation in our lives. When we pray and commune with God like that, we look different and we are different. And it becomes fully about God's will, not about us, not about our kingdoms, but about his Let me just say, I've I've just captured a few of the nuggets of the life of prayer that Jesus walked and practiced. And here's why. Because it's no wonder that his disciples ask him to teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. There's something here we've got to learn. They didn't ask him. They were there on the Mount of Olives when he gave the greatest sermon that's ever been preached called the Sermon on the Mount. But they didn't ask him to teach them to preach. They were there when he raised the dead, but they didn't ask him, teach us how to raise the dead. They were there when he fed the 5,000, but they didn't ask him, Lord, teach us how to feed a multitude with five loaves and two fishes. They asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. 
Because if you were one of those disciples, if I was one of those disciples, it would have became very, very clear to you and I that as you watched him, as you watched how he lived, and you saw the continual prayer that happened in his life, and then the supernatural outbreaks that, that come in between, you would have known that it was that that was the key to his life and his power and the flow of God through him. You wouldn't have just asked him about one of the little facets. You know, teach us how to raise the dead. No, that'll come if you just learn how to pray. They saw it. They experienced it. They knew that was the key to everything that Jesus was doing and everything that Jesus was saying. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus' prayer life, it's interesting, right? It's both private and it's public. And, and you find those two things just interweaving throughout the Gospels. But it always produced power. And his disciples recognized that and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They wanted to follow him into that place of prayer. And they did. And it was powerful. And so we have the book of Acts. They prayed. They gathered together and they prayed. They obeyed the words of the Lord. They gathered in unity and prayed and Pentecost came and the spirit fell and they fled out of that upper room and they're preaching and salvation is happening in the streets of Jerusalem. They prayed after the, after the religious leaders of the day had threatened them, after the, the governmental leaders had threatened them, and the place where they were at as they were praying began to shake. And the Spirit comes, and the Spirit renews them and revives them again, and they speak boldly the Word of God. They prayed in Samaria, and the Spirit of God fell, and miracles and salvation began to happen. They prayed for Saul, and he was healed, and he was converted. They prayed for Peter, and he was miraculously freed from prison. And you could go on and on. They learned, too, how to pray. We got to learn how to pray, church. We can't let this 21 days be all about prayer and then the rest of the year be about going our own way, doing our own thing. Jesus taught them to pray right in those verses afterwards. By the way, have you ever noticed the first thing he begins with is not a request? It's not a request. Maybe the greatest enemy of our prayers is our prayer list. Maybe we should just submit our prayer list to the Lord and let him rip it up. Jesus teaches them to pray and he begins by saying, our Father, our Father which art in heaven. It's, it's about relationship. It's about, it's about intimacy. It's about crawling up into daddy's lap. It doesn't start with a request. It starts with coming and having that face-to-face that face -face contact, locking eyes with the Father, coming and worshiping him, our Father who's in heaven, uh, realizing, realizing that he is beyond, that he is, that he is awesome, and that he is otherly, that he is, is worthy of our praise. 
Hallowed be your name, worshiping him, honoring him, remembering the names that he's revealed of himself, crying out for his kingdom to come, his kingdom to come, not our kingdoms, his kingdom to come, longing for his will to be done on earth in this situation. Give us, Lord, this our daily bread. First request there, and it's for that sustenance that we would need, that we find ourselves dependent on him. And then forgive us, humbly coming and, and, and making sure, making absolutely sure that our hearts are in the right place before God, that we have clean hands and pure hearts before him. We humble ourselves before him, that we strive for unity in the body of Christ. We don't allow offense to take us out of the race. We forgive from our hearts and then lead us not into temptation, knowing that temptation's out there, but Jesus is stronger. We don't have to be distracted. We can stay focused. We can run this race with our eyes locked on the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus himself. Deliver us, trusting in his delivering power, his willingness, his ability. For his is the kingdom. Once again, we just end declaring, recognizing this is all about the king and his kingdom, and we're declaring his majesty, and we're exalting him as God and Lord over every area of our lives. Church, let's want more of him. Let's experience more of him. Let's display more of him to the world. Let's go from one place of prayer to the next, and let's see God do the supernatural in those in-between moments. Prayer is an invitation, not a task. Yesterday, it was so funny. I, my, I'm, I'm, my time zone's all messed up. I'm not sure what time zone I'm on right now. And yesterday, at one point, I just, I'd gotten so weary and so tired, and I, I, I lay down to rest for just a, a few minutes, and my little alarm went off, and, and I looked, and it was 3.33. And automatically, I thought, oh, isn't there a, isn't there a great promise, 33.3? about prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I woke up, I'm just laying there in bed going, okay, God, I'm going to call on you and I'm asking you for great and mighty things. Church, let's follow Jesus into the place of prayer. Let's not see prayer as a last resort. Let's see prayer as our priority day in and day out. I love our prayer board over here. I'm going to risk going off camera here for a little bit, which is fine. But I, I've been praying over these cards, so have several others. And I just want us all, just would you stretch your hands out? You can't read these cards. I know you can't, not from where you're seated. Hopefully many of you have. But I, I just want to pray over them and seal the work of God. Here's salvation for kids. Here's comfort and healing to a friend. Here's another one for kids. Here's one for relationships. Here's one for family restoration. Here's one for reconciliation and some hurts. Here's one for breakthrough. Strengthening of a marriage. Wow, so many, so many powerful requests. 
bringing heaven to earth. I love that. This young man, this touched me so deeply, this prayer request, that God would show him how to get to North Korea. I love that. I love that. He's nine years old, wanting to know how to get the gospel in North Korea. And the meeting I was just at two weeks ago, we've got contacts there. We're going to figure that out. Salvation for several family members right here. A reminder to, that the Lord would bring some, some folks closer to God. Here's breakthroughs for family members. Continued growth in marriage. Man, here's one, my uncle, so he might know God. Here's one for God's will to be done in our upcoming presidential election. Here's one for our Harvest Project missionaries. They experienced their most fruitful year of ministry ever, provision, protection, and power. Here's one for the precious people, a new song. That's you, right? To flourish in God and be strongly rooted in Him. Here's breakthrough and salvation for children and grandchildren. Time for them to come home. How many of you can say amen to that? Man, health and recovery for the new year. Guidance and clarity. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name that, Lord, you've told us to knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking, ask and keep asking. And it's not because you're hesitant or reticent to answer, Lord. It's uh, You're teaching us something in that persistence and in that obedience. We are to pray always and never to lose hope or heart. So, Lord, we pray over each and every one of these needs in Jesus' strong name that you will meet them, that you will work in them, that you will have your will and your way in each of these families, in each of these people, in each of these requests, that you'll bring the children, the prodigals home, that you'll bring breakthroughs to marriage and relationships, that you will move and work in the nations, that you will bless our missionaries, you'll bless this church family, you'll give guidance and clarity and health and healing and encouragement and strength. And Lord, every request that you'll meet it in Jesus' strong name. And as a church together, let's say amen. 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 Give the Lord praise this morning.